All right, we're going to continue on in Psalm 23. Um, last night there was a worship night at a church in Turlock, and uh, one of the young adults said, hey, I guess you're going to preach on Psalm 23. Yes, Psalm 23. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I'm going to read Psalm 23 NIV again. Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. And it reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Brief prayer. God, thank you for your word and your spirit that illuminates the scripture to us. Give us ears to hear and a heart prepared to receive your word, Lord, and we thank you that you speak to us, and we thank you for um, the opportunity to come and hear your word, and as we worship you through song and fellowship and and snacks, Lord, now that we worship you through your word, and um, we just thank you, and we don't want to take that lightly. We just uh, pray that you prepare our hearts, use me as you see fit, whatever you want me to say, I say whatever you don't, I don't. We love you in Christ's name, amen. You may have a seat. So preparing a table before me, Sounds great um, when you consider what it's like, at least it was for me coming over to someone's house. Uh, I think of the first real big Thanksgivings that, that I experienced as a kid was at my grandma's house. And one of the things that I grew to appreciate is that I had nothing to do with it. I just showed up and ate. And it was all prepared for me. And uh, even as I got a little bit older, I even offered to do the dishes or to do something. And really, it wasn't necessarily because I, I thought I was going to help out. I just thought I'd get an extra slice of pie from Grandma. Um, but having a, a table, a meal prepared for you, or perhaps when you come home and your spouse has a meal for you, or, or you go and visit someone, some family that lives a little distance away, and the food is ready for you, everything's ready, and you, and you do offer to help, and you say, can I help with something? They say, no, just sit there and relax, and hopefully you put your comfortable pants on. Like, that's good eating. But then, that's only part of verse 5, which, which we're going to concentrate on this morning. You prepare a table before me. That sounds wonderful and delicious, and you could probably hear your tummies grumble But then in the presence of my enemies, I don't know, (laughs) the enemies, they attack. All right, in the presence of your dinner time, okay, we're just going to start over, all right. But if you think about it, I mean, honestly, uh, if I was going to write Psalms, which I'm not going to rewrite scripture. I'm not a heretic. But if I was going to rewrite Psalms, I would, I would write, you prepare a table for me after you defeat all the enemies or after you did away with all the enemies or get rid of the enemies. 
Uh, I want to relax. I want to enjoy this meal. But that's not what David wrote here. And, and as we've discussed over the last several weeks, and especially last week, now there's a transition. You've noticed a transition. Let's just briefly go through Psalm 23. The first few verses here. First one, the, the Lord is my shepherd. And I keep pounding that drum there that everyone has a Lord. And ideally it's Christ. And he is the good shepherd. And once we recognize that, once we rest in that, then we won't lack anything. And we won't lack, we won't be with want because our focus is on Christ. And then he talks about, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And we're understanding that David was a shepherd and he had sheep. And we discussed sheep in great lengths. And how he makes us lie down in green pastures. And then he leads us beside quiet waters. That the Lord, if he's our shepherd, that we're following him. He's leading us. He makes us lie down. Then he leads us. He asks us to come. And that's what refreshes our soul. And then he guides us along right paths, true paths, so we know the way to follow him. And it's for his name's sake and our desires to bring God glory, of course, but yet to be reminded that God can take care of his own name. Which, side note, I'm so thankful because my desire to bring God glory, yes, but sometimes I look back at my week, the last month, and think, ooh, that wasn't very glorifying. And then Richard taught on, even though walk through the valley or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, and that he's with us. And then that transition that... I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now it's going from third person to second person. And then last week we talked about how his rod and his staff, they comfort me, both the, the fighting off the enemies, but yet the loving discipline of a father, that that's what brings true comfort. And now he's saying, King David is saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And now we're seeing this transition in the metaphor if you will. Now it was really heavily on the shepherd and the sheep and the sheep right at the shepherd's feet or right at the staff and right at the rod. And now there's this slight transition. It's still the shepherd, but we're seeing this transition from a shepherd out in the field to a shepherd as a host in his home specifically at his table. And over the next couple of weeks, we will see what the good shepherd or the good host will do for his guest. And we will go back and forth on the parallels of the good shepherd in the field with his sheep and the good shepherd as a host in his dwelling place. And as a host, this week we're going to take a look at what it means to be invited to the table of the Lord and specifically in the presence of our enemies. And then the next week we will look that once we're at the table, how he anoints us and then how our cup is filled and not only filled, but it overflows. So there's this transition of, to the host in, in the Middle East, and even currently now there are the Bedouin people, and the Bedouin people are the people who are nomads or almost like gypsies, but they essentially just travel around, and each season they set up their tent, and whenever they set up their tent with their sheep, that's where they'll be. Uh, not too long ago, just a few years ago, there was an issue with these Bedouin people crossing the Jordan border into Israel out in the middle of the desert and then back and forth. And whenever they were first stopped by the Israeli police and then the Jordanian police, 
the border guard. They said, what are you doing? Are you Jordanian or are you Israeli? And they said, we are people of the land. What are you talking about? They said, did you not see this border? And they said, this is God's land. So there's a big conflict still going on. Um, so what they attempted to do in 2018 is they said, okay, you can go all the way in this area. And they said, that'll be fine for this season. We'll see what's next season. But the Bedouin people, they set up these tents. And even currently today, if you were lost as an American in the middle of nowhere and you came across a tent, all you would have to do is say that you're lost and you would be guaranteed to be taken care of for at least three days. You wouldn't have to speak their language. It would not matter. They would bring you in and take care of all of your needs. No matter what, no questions asked. And then they would give you enough supply to make your journey. Or in many times, they would accompany you to the next watering hole or where you needed to be. That is not a tradition that has only been around now. That's been a tradition throughout ancient history. These Bedouin people, they've been called different um, groups of people, but essentially it's the same meeting. So this morning as we consider that, and King David knew that, hopefully this morning what we will consider is what the table meant for David as a host. What it means to have enemies while you are dining at a table, and what does the table mean for us? So as we consider that, in the East and in biblical times, having someone over for a meal carried a lot more weight and more significance than it does perhaps for us. If I invited you over for dinner, you can come over anytime you want. <laughs> Natalie will make food and I'll talk to you. But if you invite me over, no big deal. I come over and you just hope that I leave at a decent hour and sometimes I might stay, outstay my welcome, but I'll just eat your food. But it's not a big deal. And even now after church, you will go to dinner or go to lunch or whatever, and you will invite people, and you'll go to La Herta or wherever you go to eat and enjoy a meal together. And that's just normal friendship, fellowship, just hanging out. However, in biblical times and even now in the Middle East, when you have someone over for a meal, it carries so much weight, so much weight. And considering the, the Bedouin people that I mentioned, I have a couple of pictures here that I wanted to show you of modern-day Bedouin. There's, here's a Bedouin tent. It's a modern-day one. It's a luxurious one. If you were lost in the desert, this is the Bedouin tent you would want to stumble across. And then the next one is, here's a modern-prepared meal. This is uh, 2019 when I was in Jordan. This is the meal that they laid out for me. And I would like to let you know that that plate right there was only for me. Everybody had their own plate. It was so good. But you get it. So you're welcome in. You are brought in. But not only are you brought in, there's two significant meanings about bringing someone into your home or into your tent or your dwelling place. The first one has to do with a covenant, with a covenant. When any time, most any time, when there was a covenant made in the Old Testament, one of the ways to celebrate and affirm the covenant was to have a meal together. You would sit down and have a meal together. That's why in the Middle East, when someone gets married, 
They are, they are making a covenant with their spouse before God, before everyone. And then there's a big reception for us here. The reception usually lasts three, four, five hours at most. But here in, in the East, it was at least a week. So anyone getting married here pretty soon? I expect a reception for at least a week. But it's a covenant. It's, it's more than a handshake. And, and I say this often. I know I've mentioned it here, but I, I bring it up routinely. Every premarital counseling that I do, I ask the question, what is the difference between a covenant and a contract? What is the difference between a covenant and a contract? A contract is based on distrust. A covenant is based wholly on trust. A contract is, I'm signing this and you are signing this and I promise that I will work this many hours and you will pay me this. Or I'm promising that I will fulfill this shipment of whatever and you will pay me this. And at any time I do not deliver or you do not deliver, the contract is over. Where a covenant is, regardless of how you treat me, Regardless if you fulfill your end of the bargain, I will continue to love you. Do you see the big difference? See, there was a blood covenant in the Old Testament, the one that God made with Abraham. And, and the, the covenant that he made is called a blood covenant or the blood of the lamb covenant. Not quite Christ yet, but to represent what was coming with Jesus Christ on the cross. And what they would do with this blood covenant that, that God set up with Abraham is he would take a sheep and cut it in half and spread it across. And, and if I was making a covenant with someone, we would both put on our robes and we would both walk between the bloody carcass of the lamb and the blood would get on our robe. And we would keep this robe as a reminder of the blood covenant that would be made. And if we broke the covenant, we were swearing that if I break the covenant, whatever happened to this lamb will happen to me. You're going to carry out your covenant. And then eventually, of course, Christ died on the cross to be the perfect covenant, the perfect relationship, the perfect restoration. So to be invited in first was to confirm, affirm a covenant, more than a handshake, more than a signature. But if we are sitting down at this meal together, we are both in agreement that what we promise to do, we will do. And the second one, which really applies more to what King David is talking about, about the Lord preparing a table before him. It also means that the host is 100% responsible for his or her guest. 100% responsible for their safety, for their well-being. You essentially became a servant to your guests. In the Eastern in the East, the histor- or in historical culture, if someone was invited into the home and a meal was prepared, it wasn't just food. It was an invitation to intimacy and saying, I will protect you. I will take care of you, even at great cost to myself and my family. Remember that. We'll touch on that in a moment. But saying that when you come in, I will lay down my life. Wait a minute. Doesn't the good shepherd lay down his life? Seeing the crossover, now we're seeing the parallels that the good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. Now the host, the shepherd host will lay down their life for whoever's in their home. That means if there's intruders or attackers, I'm going to protect you no matter what. At the expense of my family, I will do it. 
And not to go too deep into the weeds, but just, just, just in the surface, just get our boots dirty. When, you, when we go back and think about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you go back and you consider that, and if you remember the story, angels came to the town and these wicked men wanted to uh, hurt, harm, and rape these angels. You remember that story? Lot had the angels come and stay with him because originally, remember, the angels were just going to stay out. And he goes, this is a horrible place. You can't do that. You can't stay. So he invited them in. He said, I will be your host. I will take you in. Now, Lot was not in a tent. He had a permanent house in a city. We know this because the text tells us he closed the door and bolted the door, and you don't do that to a tent. But do you remember the story? And it's a hard story. You remember what happens when the, the villagers come and pound on the door and say, give us these men, these strangers. Give them to us. This is what we expect. This is what we desire. And Genesis, this is stories in Genesis 19. And I'm going to read, uh, well, sorry, I think I only, guys in the back, I think I only gave you verse 8. But I'm going to read uh, verses 6 through 8. I apologize. So Genesis 19, verse 6 says, So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged. Don't do such wicked thing, such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone for they are my guests and under my protection. Now, in our, well, face value, that's an awful story. And if you've ever gone through the story and you thought, how in the world would Lot offer up his daughters over the angels? You think you just shake your head and think, the Bible's weird. Or this is awful. Or that's why Sodom and Gomorrah got blown up. Or whatever it is that comes to your mind. And a lot of times this is one of the passages that people point to and say, see, see how awful this is. But notice, see, we have to, when we are reading the Bible, the, the hardest thing I think to do is to take off our personal goggles. For me, that would be a guy right now in America with three children and a wife. When I read this, I think, I, nuh-uh. I'd shoot him, get him, bite him, attack him, fight him off. But part of the process in reading the Bible and understanding the, the Bible is to remember that it wasn't written directly to us. It was written for us. So we have to look at it from the lens of the Easterner. What Lot is essentially saying is, out of great loss to my family and to myself, I promise to be the host of these angels. So much so that I have to do everything in my protection, in my ability to protect them. So that's why whenever we see this and we, and we read this, we, and he says that right there, but please leave these men alone for they are my guests. Or in other words, I am their host and they are under my protection. 
You can even consider uh, when Jacob and Laban, they were drawing property lines, the same, same situation as I'm the host, I must take care of. This is my role and responsibility. So when King David is writing this, whenever he's writing and he says, God, you prepare a table for me, it's not just for food. He's saying, Lord, you are preparing a table for me. You are my host and you will do everything to protect me. Everything to protect me at great cost. And for Lot, he was willing at great cost to give over his daughters, which he doesn't. It's destroyed. They come in and the angels save the day and then God throws it down. But great cost. And what did it cost God, the father, for us to be able to sit at his table? His son. It's a great cost. So not only is it agreeing to a covenant, it's the host is now directly responsible for the people that he brings in. So that's why when David again is saying, I prepare a ta- you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, you are my host and you will protect me. Now going back to the parallel about the sheep, as the shepherd, as Philip Keller in his book, uh, Shepherd's View of Psalm 23, he talks about preparing a table for his sheep. And he talks about in the springtime, right before spring, he brings them up to the top of the hill. And what shepherds call the top of the hill is a table. And what he, and as Philip Keller would explain, is right before the snow was completely gone, and right before it was actually time for the sheep to come and really eat, And he would explain that whenever they were lying down in green pastures, they were fed and taken care of, but the table was overdoing it. But what he would do is he and his sons, he would bring his sons out and they would walk the field in a grid and look for any holes that could have snakes, any poisonous plants, any tracks of wild animals. And as he called it, they would prepare the mountaintop or the tabletop for the sheep to enjoy He would also go on to explain in the presence of his enemies. That means, no, he did not get rid of every cougar or wolf, and he'd list all the awful animals that would try to eat his sheep, but the sheep knew they were protected. So as we are considering this, and even as we consider this Eastern culture about eating, because it is definitely involving eating, the main way that... Uh, Jewish people in the Eastern culture would eat is reclining or laying back. And that first picture that I showed, if you could bring up that first picture of the Bedouin tent, you could see there's actually no table to sit down and enjoy your meal. And those beds with those blue-looking pillows there was not to lay down and sleep, but that's where you were eating. You would push them close together and the meal would be brought to you in that center round table and you would recline and eat. And if you have a bad back, good luck. But eat and you would eat. And, and the reason why it was supposed to be because you felt totally comfortable, totally protected, and you knew that you did not have to jump up for the alarm of criminals or bad guys coming. So to recline. So what King David is saying is you not only are preparing a table because you are my host and you will protect me, but so much so I can lay down and relax because I know you will take care of it. As, as we consider this, 
I don't know if you've ever had um, someone in your home that perhaps was a visitor or, or uh, you hosted uh, someone that was visiting that was out in another country and they were sharing. But a lot of times what it is is what would you do? You would ask them tons of questions. It's just normal table talk. You would invite them in and the host's job, your job, was to get to know them and make them feel comfortable. And that was the whole point of it, is reclining and laying back. I remember when we were in Kansas City, Missouri, and in Kansas City, Missouri, at the church we were serving, we had lots of people from lots of different countries. And so for Thanksgiving, we would invite them over because they were either missionaries or they were just new to the area, and we would invite them over. And one of the things, there were a few people from Africa that we had over throughout different Thanksgiving, one particular guy, his name is Sylvester, and he was so honored that we invited him over for Thanksgiving. And for us, it was like, well, just eat, like, nom, nom, nom. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's okay. Just enjoy it. But even at the end, he blessed us. He prayed for us. But he really wanted to stress that where he was from in his culture, that we were entering in a covenant with him that he knew that he felt well protected. And also, if there was anything that we would ever need throughout our life, he would do it. He currently lives in Colorado. He, he um, was in the military for a long time, and now he is a sheriff's deputy, I believe. And about once a year, I get an email from him and asking very specifically, how, is, how are you, Natalie, and the kids? Is there anything that you need me to deliver? So he would walk. And even in considering a lot of these Eastern cultures um, that whenever you would uh, visit a village, someone would escort you to the next village hand in hand. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of us Americans, but, you know, I'm not going to hold your hand and walk you to (laughs) to your car. You would probably think that's weird. Or I wouldn't escort you, this big entourage, over to the next city. But this is what it meant. This is what King David knew. This is what he knew as a king. This is what he knew as a shepherd. And this is what he knew with his intimacy before Christ, that he could recline, he could relax, and ultimately God would take care of everything. Now, as we consider in the presence of my enemies, like I mentioned, if I was going to write the psalm, I would write it in some way. You prepare a table before me and you destroy my enemies or they're all gone or you vanquish them or you lock the door or some kind of thing not willing to deal, for me personally, to deal with the enemies. But this means so much more. Preparing a table in front of the enemies means that I'm not the one in charge of the battle. I'm not the one that has to always be on guard. That doesn't mean that I do not fight in the battle, but it means it is not my battle. That means I do not have to worry about it. I do not have to wear my sword around my waist while I'm eating or guns or whatever weapons of choice. It means that the battle that we are facing, which is a real struggle, that is whatever the face, whatever the enemy that you're facing, that we have complete peace, We are lacking nothing because our dependence is on Christ. So as I was considering this 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 week, I wrote out a handful of the enemies of King David. 
So here's just, it's not all, everyone, but here's the list. At least for me as King David, I believe he wrote this much later on in his life as he's reflecting on the goodness of God. I think he was probably considering some of the enemies. So here are some of the enemies at least that David had mentioned. The lion and the bear. Remember whenever he is about to go fight Goliath, another enemy, and King Saul said, how can you possibly do this? And he said, whenever a, a lion or a bear uh, took a sheep, I chased after it and I beat it up. And if it still didn't die, I grabbed it by its whiskers. Another enemy of King David, Goliath, the giant. Saul, the king that he had to fight. Nabal, his future wife's ex-husband. Future, yeah, I said that right. The Philistines. I wrote Philistines part one, two, and three. The entire nation of Israel, when the nation split into two nations, Israel and Judah. You remember when King David took over and there was still some allegiance to Saul, so they split apart. Abner, a general that remained loyal to Saul. Moab, Syrians, part one, part two. Absalom, his son. Abanjai, another son. You see, at least as I was considering, King David faced a lot of these enemies. And I don't know about your list of enemies, but my list does not include my son or my daughter currently. No giant, there's no king, there's no future ex-wife's husband, there's no general, there's no warring nations. I mean, my enemies usually take on the form of, and this is what I wrote, myself, my sin, my evil thoughts, people who drive obnoxiously. But my list is a lot more tamer, and I don't know what your list would look like. But whenever I compare it at least to David's, when he says that the Lord prepares a table before his enemies, and I consider what would be my enemies, I realize I can sit down at the table with Christ. Because the victory is guaranteed. So as we consider this sitting at the table that God has prepared for us, couple of questions to consider. How much time do you spend at the table of God? God is always inviting you in daily to, he's always prepared a table before you. How much time do you sit at his table? And if you do sit at his table, do you feel like you can recline at his table? Do you rush to leave the table? Perhaps even worse, do you just grab from the table and never sit down? And perhaps even further, harder, do you skip the table altogether and just go through a drive-through with something else? And perhaps you do sit at the table, and this is not to be guilt, this is only to reflect, and, and uh, I hadn't mentioned this in a while, I write this sermon to me, and whenever I preach it, you just happen to be here. This is, this is God speaking to me, and this is, you're just hearing what's going on in my head. 
So if I do sit down at the table, do I just nibble or am I on my phone? Am I worrying about the next thing that I have to do? Do I eat with, do I talk with my mouth full? I'll explain that in a minute. But am I always on my phone? Is there anything that's distracting me? So when I'm sitting at the table before the Lord, it's not just to read scripture, but to hear from him. It's not just to pray and present my request, but it's to hear from him. It's to rest in his presence, to shut it down. May it be five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour or two. And we're not talking about the Sabbath. We talked about the Sabbath quite a bit. Am I hurrying to jump to the next thing, to the next loop? Am I worried about, all right, God, I have to hurry up my devotion time because you know I have a sermon to write. That's really awkward to say to God. Or... Do I talk with my mouth full? That, and what I mean by that, what came to my mind when I was thinking of that is, do I just yell out all these things? Here, God, here's all the things that I want. Here's all the prayer requests that I've received this week. Here it is. I'm going to munch real quick, but I'm not going to take time for me because I'm more focused on other people. And you might say, that's noble, but that's awful. To assume that other people need Christ more than you do is a lie. We all need Christ equally. So a table with a full spread of food is prepared and ready for us. And many times we are so busy and in such a hurry that we run by the table and grab something on the way out and say thanks, maybe. We don't believe we have time, so we grab the handful of something and run out the door and promise next time I'm going to sit down and have a real meal with you. And God, being the perfect gentleman that he is, as he's sitting at the table and he says, okay, I'll be here when you need me. And again, perhaps even worse, sometimes we don't even grab food from the table. We go through a drive-thru. We eat something else. Not necessarily bad, but definitely not good. And then if we are definitely realizing that in the presence of my enemies, a lot of times what we do is we come to the table, not focused on Christ, but we come complaining and worrying about the enemies or the trouble of the day. And we're looking around and our focus is not on Christ. Part of the reason why you would recline back is that way your focus was on your host. You would lie on your elbow and you would eat with the other hand and there was no moving about. You would just lay there and relax and look at the center and whatever the host had to say and served. Thinking about it this way, the host, Christ, is essentially saying, if there's anything that you need, I will supply it for you. I will get it. I will fill up your cup. I will take care of you. But a lot of times we just wiggle around and look. Have you ever been ungrateful? That's essentially... What can distract us, not so much our enemies, but ourselves, the internal struggle. Lou Giglio wrote a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, about halfway through it, and I appreciated what he said. He said he does a really good job of sitting at the table, but does an equally good job of looking behind for the enemy to come and attack from behind. So this table that 
that David is talking about is not just for the sheep for the tabletop and not just for the host to invite us in to have a meal, but this really, what David is doing is he is preparing the way to receive communion, which is another table all in itself. And if you go through the Bible, and especially through the Old Testament, what you will see is anytime there's a table or a meal prepared, you can see that it's linked to the upcoming feast that we will have ultimately in heaven. And when we are fully redeemed and fully restored in heaven, either by death or when Christ returns to get us, But that step before that is it's always pointing to the table, to communion, which communion is always pointing to Christ's death and resurrection. So which is another table, a table that God has prepared for us. And at this table, Christ would have the Last Supper. But let us consider real quick this Last Supper. Who was at the table with him? Judas. And what I'm reminded about that is when David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and then I look at Christ sitting at this last supper at this table, and his enemy is sitting so close next to him that their hands are sharing in the same bowl. And yet Christ died for him too. Yet he took his life. But David reminds us again that God prepares a table and the Lord prepares a table in front of our enemy and Jesus is prepared to share this table with you. We'll have a couple of songs and we are going to receive communion this morning and you're welcome to receive communion this morning if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never come to the table and you don't know who Christ is as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to tell you about him. Because as we consider this and as we think about this, the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing and he makes us lie down and he leads us beside quiet waters. He refreshes our soul when we rest in him. He guides us along the right paths for his name's sake. And even when we are in the darkest of valleys, we won't fear evil because he is with us. Not only is he with us, he carries a rod and a staff and that's what comforts us. And he has prepared a table for each and every one of us, regardless of what you're experiencing. So this morning, I just ask you to reflect on your time at the table, and I invite you to receive communion. And just to put emphasis, I I don't say take communion, because we don't take anything from Christ. We receive it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and for your word and the way that you work in our lives, Lord. And We thank you for the fact that you are the good shepherd, that you are the good host, Lord, that we lack nothing, Lord. Let us, when we are at your table, recline and focus in on you, Lord. It's not that we don't have troubles or issues or things running around in our head a million miles an hour, but Lord, let us give them to you. Let us share them with you. It's not that you don't know, but you want us to come to you. Lord, as we are reminded that since you are the good host and you've prepared a table for us, that you will protect us, and you have protected us at great cost to you, your son. And yet you invite us daily to come and sit at your feet and at your table, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for the Psalm 23, and 
and the way that we've slowed down to walk through it. And, and there's so much meaning here, Lord. And I'm just reminded that this is not just a psalm to be read at a funeral, but this is a psalm to live throughout our life. So, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, will you speak to us, Lord? There's no guilt and shame because that was all dealt with on the cross, but if there's any conviction going on, will you speak to us? Thank you that you are worthy to be the perfect sacrifice so that way we may sit at your table. And if, as, you have, as you are preparing a room for us, we just praise your name. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.